Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. <laughs> and welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 77 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Another crazy, crazy Sunday. And part two of the Wade Brookbank interview. Um, so if you haven't listened to part one from Wednesday, go back. This will this episode will make no sense to you. So go back and listen to Wednesday's show and then come back and listen to this one. Uh, that's all right. We'll wait. No, I'm just kidding. But no, definitely go back and check out part one because part two will not make sense to you. <clears throat> well, I guess it'll make sense to you because it's just stories. It's not like it's a whodunit, but... Uh, um, yeah, no, Wade was a great guest and, uh, the, the, the response has been really cool, really, really positive, um, to, to, uh, part one. Um, like I said, we covered everything from his junior career, um, right up to his NHL debut and, uh, playing with the Canucks and, and, um, yeah, and all, and all that. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a really fun talk. So, um, I was normally Wednesdays. My obviously everyone knows that Wednesdays my interview day, and then Sundays usually my uh, you know shit show Sunday, as Joe calls uh, suggested I call it. Um, you know, stick on the wall Sunday. We'll see what sticks to the wall Sunday. Basically, it's a rant episode or just talk, just me talking solo episode. Um, and I was gonna do that, and then next Wednesday I was gonna do part two, and I'm like, eh, that's sort of disjointed and broken up, and then eh, I don't want to. You know, so, um, yes, I will put up part two today, and, um, yeah, I think that makes more sense. Um, I do have an interview already done for Wednesday. Um, it was it was with uh, Memorial Cup champion and former Red Deer Rebel, uh, Devin Francon. Um, Devin was a great guest. Um, the really interesting um, conversation, because um, Devin played um, five years in the Western League, played college for a year. And, uh, and then, uh, a year of pro, um, or, well, 12 games in pro and then, you know, got hurt and whatever. And then that was about it. And then played some senior and, and that was it. Um, but it was, a, it was an interesting conversation in the fact that, um, much more than any other guests that I've had on, um, and it just sort of came out this way as we were talking, it was, a, it was decisions about life after hockey or being prepared for life after hockey and, uh. How many aren't, and um, and the road that he took, and uh, and just school and life decisions, and um, and it was interesting to hear his take on it, and um, and and while it, you know that was his opinion and his take on things and how his life turned out, um, you know it, it was it was interesting, and, and you know I mean everyone has their own path to take, right? So, um, but that's, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a late night, uh, 
it was definitely a late night interview because I think it was almost one in the morning when I was doing the interview. It was almost done. Um, so, but it was an interesting conversation. I think you guys will, uh, you'll, 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 you guys will dig it. Um, but yeah, while I'm recording this on Friday, cause, uh, you know, like I said, take my Fridays off again. So, uh, figured, uh, we'll do that. And so, um, and I was going to kind of, you know, and I'm thinking, well, cause this part two with Wade's about an hour and a little bit. And I'm like, oh, how, maybe I'll fill some time up with my, a couple of rants and whatever. And, um, you know, but then I'm like, well, that sort of takes away from the Wade interview. So I'm, I'm not going to get into too many things. Um, you know, I'll save it for next Sunday. Um, you know, of course, some of the big events that went on, um, you know, the Leafs and Tuchuk and the puck flipping thing. And, um, you know, I talked to a few, um, you know, of course, most of my Sunday episodes end up me ranting about something on Twitter or whatever, but, um, yeah, it was more just sort of, I don't know, delusional Leaf fans not being able to see the big picture. It's a saying, see the forest through the trees. Um, yeah, it was a typical non-response. Flipping a puck at someone at the buzzer is not a response. As savage as you delusional fans might like to think it was, it wasn't. Um, oh, and he snapped. Well, you know, like I said to the one guy, you're using a lot of hyperbole, but he's a writer, so that's kind of what he's good at. But I'm like, I don't know about, I don't know about slamming a gate door and knocking a water bottle over. Apparently that's all of a sudden your Mount St. Helens all of a sudden. It's like, eh, I don't know about that. But, um, you know, I think I, I said as a Leaf fan, I'd be more upset that they didn't do anything again. You know, and I'm not saying, like I told him, I'm not saying this from a Flames fan or I can't stand the Chuck, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't give a shit about any of it. Like I said, I'm just talking about the situation and the action that's gone on. Um, I always say when you don't give a shit, your clarity is outstanding, um, on the situations. Um, so I don't care. So that, that allows me to be completely neutral. So it's, um. Yeah, so that, and uh, and then also, it was interesting, a lot a lot of the stuff on my timeline as well, more from a social standpoint, like a society standpoint, but um, it was, of course it was the, the Women's Hockey League and the women's reporters, um, the, the, the ones that covered the league, um, versus Barstool Sports. Um, now, I'll be completely honest, I'm... I'm I don't pay really any attention to bar. I mean, I know what bar stool is. I'm not a big, what do they call it? A stoolie. I'm not a big stoolie, not out of any sort of dislike or like, or whatever. I just don't follow their stuff. I mean, outside of the occasional spit and chiglets interview. Um, okay. I mean, I know what they are, but, um, I know their president, that Dave Port. And I mean, they've done a lot of great stuff for charities. I see they're raising money for restaurants. Um, the female hockey player that got paralyzed. I know they did a fundraiser for her. Um, you know, and I'm, yeah, I'm sure they've done many more, but I mean, I'm, the, off the top of my head, those are the ones I'm aware of. So I understand the great things that they do at the same time. Yeah, I've seen interviews with that guy, and he seems like a douchebag. So, and he, or he says some douchey things. So I'm not, I'm not for him or against him. I'm just, that's just the way I feel about him. I mean, or I don't have any feeling towards him. I've just, I've seen both sides of him. We'll put it that way. So, I mean, when people say either way, I get it, you know, but, um, at the same time, reading a lot of accusations, both from players and 
reporters and from Vice, the website Vice. Um, I enjoy a lot of Vice stuff on YouTube, though. I will say that. There's a really cool... They go to different major cities and talk like about like Sunset Boulevard or... Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I, I enjoy Vice programming, some of their stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, they're talking about suing Vice for a slander piece. And, um, I've, and I've, I've said this on this show many times, uh, when it comes to reporters, um, or just people in general, but more journalism, um, eventually they're going to start learning that, uh, words have consequences. And, uh. And that's sort of for everybody. Yeah, you have free speech, but that doesn't mean free from consequence. So there's a difference, and people should learn the difference. And sometimes people are going to learn the hard way. Um, now, I'm not speaking to cancel culture, because that's... that That's... Uh, no, that's, that's bullshit, too. But... Um, which is sort of the society that we're living in now. Um... Put it up, especially on social media. There's a lot of people that like like to ride around on their high horse, the white knights of social media, that preach inclusiveness and everything else. Yet they're the furthest thing from the hypocrisy of it all is very apparent, um, you know. And uh, now, so you be like the a lot of these writers. It's interesting with what they write and the venom in which they do they become the very thing that they're trying to rally against, which is interesting from a, from a social experiment. But yeah, it, um, you know, and they're accused of hate speech and they're, they're accusing Barstool over the, over the year of hate speech and everything else. And, you know, you know, and I think a lot of people, not just this incident, but just in general, you know, there's a difference between hate speech and speech that you hate. And there doesn't seem to be that dissemination from a lot of people. But, anyway. We're getting deep here on episode two. I didn't mean to get that. But basically, I guess uh, I'm all tying this all together. Because, of course, um, yesterday also on social media was, of course, uh, Bell Let's Talk Day. Um, for the mental health. and um, Which is big on social media. And I've said this. I believe I actually said this on last year's episode. But I've said this numerous times before. Um, as, and it's a great cause and raises money and awareness. Um, I have nothing against, you know, but the same, and there's podcasts out there. I know who you are. I saw you doing it yesterday, tweeting about it and everything else. Um, you know, yet come Friday when you record your new episode, you just then again, turn around as you always do shit on athletes, call them names everything else. So it's like the hypocrisy of it all. And these are major media people. I've, I've said this about Damian Cox, James Myrtle, Ken Campbell, all right for major outlets. Stevie Dangle and the rest of them. I've listened to your podcast. Some of them forced to listen to at work. But you have no shot. Now it's one thing, I think Jim's better than Joe. Well that's not what I'm talking about. But when you call someone a pylon, a pigeon, a dumpster fire, shouldn't be in hockey. Should be washing washing floors. Oh, he's a piece of shit. Whatever. You're all guilty of it. 
And you know what? I can be, I can, and I can sit here and say, because I challenge, I've, I've said this before numerous times, I challenge anybody to go back through my Twitter account or listen to any piece of audio from my podcast and come up with when I've said anything about a professional athlete. Knocked them as a person. I've knocked their actions. Like if they've turtled or cross-checked someone or did that, and I've, I've said that's a piece of shit move. And I've said I think this guy's tougher than that guy and this guy's soft or whatever. Well, that's an opinion. I've never come out and said, oh, this guy's a piece of shit that shouldn't be playing hockey. And fuck that guy. I've never done that. And I challenge... I'll save you time. You won't find it because I've never done it. So... I can sit here with a clear conscience. But many of you that were tweeting yesterday sure couldn't. But yet you continue to because you, you're hypocrites. And I wish you'd take some of your same advice sometimes. All your inspirational messages and everything that you, that you tweeted yesterday, I wish you would take to heart on today. I'm just saying. And I'm and hey, I, like I said, I'm a member of the Hockey Podcast Network, but these say, there's, there's shows on this network that do exactly what I just said. So I'm not just, oh, that, not them, not us. No, it's us too. Not me. Like I said, I can, I can sleep with a clear head. No, I'm not trying to sound like, oh, I'm better than everybody. I'm not. I'm just saying in terms of this show and what I tweet, I'm very aware of what I'm doing and what I'm putting out there, I guess is what I'm saying. I wish more would be. When I tweet something, I mean it. When I say something on this show, I mean it. You're not going to hear me the next day, the next episode, apologizing for what I should shouldn't have said, or I'll go back and edit it out. If I said it, I mean it, and I'll keep it in. So, there you have it. And I've always said to all you guys that are listening, I've never lied to you. I've always been honest with you on this show. And I've asked for my guests to come on to be honest. So, there. That's all I'll say about that. But I think the the one thing with the mental health, um, I've always said growing up, I never had, I've never dealt with it. Um, I've never had immediate family with any mental health issues. Um, that I know of. I guess I should preface that by saying that I know of. Um, but since, uh, well, he, and he's, he's publicly said it, so it's not like I'm talking out of school, but, um, my brother-in-law battles depression. And, uh, so I've learned a lot about mental health from his, uh, battles and watching what him and his, him and his family go through. And, uh, yeah. And, and it's terrible. And, uh, and, I, and I've listened to him tell the stories and I've seen, like I said, I've seen what they've gone through and it's greatly underfunded in this country, probably in this world. Um, has it changed for the better? There are improvements um, as far as I can tell. I mean, like a personal example for a work, when I started, we didn't have anything like a EFAP, like when you can go for group or, um, or, or mental health in terms of someone to go talk to, like they didn't provide that. That was more up to you to go do on your own. Um, now we have someone 
that does that. They openly promote it. I know many that have, well, I know many have, not who, but I know many have used it at work. Um, again, as a government, I, I work with hundreds of people, not just like eight. So like hundreds and hundreds of people. So I know that it's being used, uh, which is good. Um, I know part of my union money goes to it, um, which is good. Um, now again, could they do more? Yeah, probably. We could do more in lots of things in society. Um, but it's, it's improving. I know it's improving because like I said, it wasn't there when I started and it is now. So that's an improvement. Um, so, but I know, yes, there's many miles left to go in the journey in, in terms of funding and, and what have you. Um, and, and like I said, um, the Bell Let's Talk Day, yeah, it's a major corporation. Are they doing it to look good? Of course they're doing it to look good and promote themselves and whatever. But at the same time, they're still doing it. But the point of all this is, and, it can't, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer or whatever, but a typical social media fashion, of course, now you have all these woke individuals. Now they're complaining about it. Like the one guy, oh, unpopular opinion, but why must we commercialize everything? Mental health transparency shouldn't have a sponsor, a hashtag, or a fundraising day. Well, at the core of it, I get what you're saying. But at the same time, eh, you know, my response was basically, we're raising millions and at the very least promoting conversation. But of course, we have a comment section full of woke individuals complaining. Social media never fails. Way to read the room, folks. Bravo. Was my response. Was it, is that the best? Like, I get what you're trying to do. And I mean, what, what do the kids say? You're looking for clout online. There's other ways of going about doing it. Like I said, at the core, I get it. But, and it's Bell, they're a big media fan. They're doing this for promotion. What's well, a tax plan? Well, okay, so they don't do it. Now what? It's just never, like, you know what I mean? Well, why, like, why must people, again, going back to words have consequences. What people, like, what are you saying? Really? Like, why? I guess that's what I'm getting at. Why? You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of frustration yesterday reading things. Um, from not only that, but like I said, the whole barstool women, like, that didn't bother, like, oh, they're knocking barstool, it's bothering, I don't know, that's not, it was, it was what was being done and how it was being presented and who was presenting it and how they were going about doing it was basically what was bothering me. Who was involved in the fight was, uh, in was, had no consequence on what I was irritated by. I was, I was more irritated with how they went about doing it and how people just freely, um, just say whatever and, and with, you know, and, and just make these blanket accusations. Well, you do this. Well, one employee did that. So that doesn't mean the company does that. You know, they like, people really like to paintbrush things, which is irritating. We, that's what we don't do at work. Well, we need to, who's we need to No, he needs to, or you need to not we, because the rest of us aren't doing it. You're the one doing it. So you don't have to start. Why? Like I would say, why all of a sudden everyone can speak French all of a sudden. We, yeah. What do you got a mouse in your pocket? Who's, who the fuck is we? No, it's you or them, that guy. That girl. Deal with them. No one else is doing it. Babbling here, but I'm just... I'm sort of just... We're talking. It's a Sunday. We're talking. Um, 
Yeah. So people like to generalize. So I see a lot of people, oh, bars, fuck them. Why? Well, they, they're racist. They're white. It's a white supremacy group. I saw that one. Really? Okay. Um, yeah. I don't really know if they're a white supremacist group, but, you know. But what makes you say that? Oh, well, because they are. <laughs> okay. Yeah, oh, you're just, you're just, so again, you're just throwing out stuff. Well, this one time he said this. Mm, well, it was a joke and a parody song. Yeah, but that but that, that proves he's a racist. Mm, okay. Again, we're really reaching. Uh, I'm not saying you have to like him, listen to him, whatever. Hate him for what, okay. But, mm, like I said, sort of paintbrush and everything. Now, again, I'm not uh, former again, but I'm just saying. Anyway. How about we get to the interview? It's, I'm sorry, guy. I'm just sort of rambling. Um, yeah, I just I had a lot on my mind here as I'm sitting here looking out the window. Actually, even before I hit record, um, I've actually literally been just sitting here leaning back in this chair, staring out the window for like the last 20 minutes, just sort of thinking about what I was going to talk about and where my mind was at and just uh, and that type of thing. And and I don't know. I always find it's interesting. I I find hitting record on this and just talking is is almost like my therapy session, really. Well, not even therapy. I, I just enjoy talking. Like, I always refer to it as ranting. I mean, you know, I, I guess ranting sort of... I could sleep at night. This It's not like I'm lying awake and I'm, you know, I didn't kick the dog and put a, punch a hole in my wall and yell and scream. I mean, I, nothing gets... Social media, nothing gets me that worked up. Um, I get frustrated with... As, ever, as everyone does with society at times. And... Uh, and when you're in the social media world, um, as much as I've always, well, everybody listens to it, I've mentioned numerous times how I loathe Twitter. Um, but there's also, I, I can see the positive in it as well, of course, like in anything. Um, I always try to be a glass half full guy. And, uh, but most of the stuff that lately, if, if anybody follows me on Twitter, um, knows I haven't really been tweeting that much lately. I haven't been really active. Um, as much as I normally have. I just, um, I just re- honestly haven't really been in the mood. And, um, yeah. And, I, but I mean, I have to be, if I want to promote this show, obviously I have to be on Twitter and social media. Um, but really, that's the main, biggest reason why I'm here is, uh, is to promote. Or biggest reason why I'm on Twitter. To mo- to promote the podcast on my YouTube channel. And, um, you know, I'm certainly not going on there to make, um, political change stances or society stances or my, my views on society or anything like that. Um, you know, that might come out in some of my tweets, but overall, not really. Um, like I've always said on this show, like, well, but even on this, I've, on this, I've never lied. Um, I've always been honest with you guys, um. And like I said, I'm I'm fully aware of what I put on for content, uh, both on here and on Twitter, and I stand by anything I've ever put. And uh, yeah, but I think before I do it too. And um, I wish others would. Again, I'm not trying to sit here and oh, I'm I'm the paragon of virtue and I'm the beacon. Look at me, but no, that's not. I don't mean it to sound like that. If it's coming across like that, I don't mean it to. Um, I'm just, it's hard to talk when it's, it's my show. So, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm speaking from, you know, 
you know, there's <laughs> it'll come across as sort of, I guess, arrogant, but as I'm, I don't mean it that way. Yeah, anyway, guys, that was just my general feelings for the, for today. Um, like I said, let's get on with Wade. Uh, but before I do that, of course, like I said, I'm a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, check out all the, every, te- every team in the NHL is represented on the network. So whatever team you're a fan of, there's a show for you to listen to. Uh, myself, Brad Lee, Terry Ryan, um, we're some of the, we're on the original co- creator side, content side. Um, but yeah, uh, lots of uh, new shows being added all the time. Um, so different personalities in terms of podcasters, um, check it out. Uh, for my non-network friends, Alec over at Five for Fighting, I know, um, he has an interview done. He's just sort of trying, I know he got really busy on a job site. I know he's, uh. He wants to get something out. He's been, but he's just been pressed for time, like we all have been at some times in our lives. And uh, he's gone through a lot lately. So uh, I know podcasting certainly has, has, you know, dropped down on his priority list um, in terms of things he needs to get done. Um, but I know he does have an interview finished. So I think he wants to do a solo episode first, just sort of you know talking about things. So that should probably be. I would assume this weekend he'll have it out. Um, and then Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles just had an interview, just released an interview with Ray Schultz. That was a good one. Listen to that. Uh, former dub boy. Enjoyed listening to that. Um, Joe does a great job. He's an Islander. It's kind of a specific show. So he has Islander tough guys on. And, uh, you know, from Eric Bolton, Mick Fakota, Josh, Jason at Strudwig, Aaron Asham. It was, um, Joe does a great job. He's really thorough. Um, you know, and anybody that's been around, like, the old scene, the old hockey fight scene and, you're old like like myself and Joe are. Um, we'll know Joe Lazito from um, the old Tough Guy magazines and the Stan Fisher books and and just the old message boards. Joe was always around, so uh, he's a he's he's a he's a, an original like myself. You know what is it? So old we fart dust, that type of thing. But uh, um, yeah, Joe does a great job. And then of course, um, Fred and Dave over at the Slewfoot Show and Paul, Dan, and Kelly at the Obey the Puck show for your current hockey needs. And it was interesting, I when I was talking about the, um, the women's hockey, I I talked to Dan yesterday about it, just privately. And, um, yeah, and, well, because I yeah, figured he'd be the one to ask because on their show they do cover women's hockey as well. Um, you know, Paul works with one of the teams. Um, so, uh, and I think he's a, works the, he's a timekeeper or something. Um, so, forget, I, I'm drawing a blank, Paul, on, on what you do. Oh, you're the public PR, the PA guy. So, um, but, uh, so uh, you know, they, they're they're definitely immersed in the in the um, in the league and what's going on. So I was just talking to Dan about it, but uh, yes, but they but they talk all types of current hockey, and I like those people, and uh, so that's why I listen to. Them. I give a shit about current hockey, but I'll listen to their shows because I like those people. Um, that way, I listen to them so I don't have to watch. That's what I always say. But um, there we go. How about we get on with the show here? This was... Uh, so, guys, like I said, this is uh, part two to the Wade Brookbank. Um, again, follow me on Twitter, Fourth Line Voice. Uh, YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Over 2,200 fight videos from junior to pro. Got you all covered. Check it out. Subscribe to the channel. I haven't, I've been bad lately. I haven't put anything up for a couple weeks. I, I gotta get on that. This weekend I'll do that for you guys. I'll put up some stuff. Um, but other than that, um, definitely check out the channel though. I dig it. You'll dig it. I dig, well, I dig it. I put it up, but you'll dig it. And, uh, 
Other than that, if you if you if you have any comments about the show, um, and you're not on Twitter, get a hold of me. Uh, Hockeyfights at hotmail dot com. That's right. I still use a hotmail account. Well, one of the many email accounts I have, but I always like the hockey fights at hotmail. Check it out. Send, drop me a line, and uh, let me know what you think of the show, good, bad, or otherwise. But uh, all right, guys, let's roll. This is uh, part two with Wade Brookbank. Thanks, guys. All right, here we are on uh, part two. We're taking it. We're we're back at it here. And uh, thank you very much for uh, for coming back on the show. And uh, I know we left off. We were just uh, kind of wrapping up, talking to you about uh, Donald Brashear, um, and that and that's and that season in Carolina, uh, your first year there. Oh um, eight oh nine, you're back in Carolina, and you play. Uh, you, you know, you start you start the season there, and uh, there's a few guys here that I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, Actually, they show up a few times on your fight card, not only in the NHL, but later on in the American League. But uh, one of them was Grant McNeil. Grant McNeil, yeah. Uh, I think I fought him probably preseason that year. Um, yep. He was one of the guys when I got sent down in conditioning. He was playing in San Antonio. I think that's the first time I played against him. I knew who he was from his stint when he got called up and had those big fights with, uh, had that big fight with uh, Simon. So I knew about him, and then I heard about how tough he was in the WHL. Um, so, yeah, when I fought him that year, I think I fought him. Was that the first time I fought him? I feel like I maybe fought him even before that. But I, I remember watching him and seeing all of his fights, and that was one of the guys where, you know, I was very confident going into the fight because I just matched, I just matched up well against him. I had the reach and the height. He was a very wide-open fighter, mostly rights. You know, I think he probably threw left sometimes, but mostly rights is what he stuck to, so... Um, I was confident I could just, you know, fight my fight, not open up and let him go toe-to-toe, because if I went toe-to-toe with him, he's probably going to put me down. So I never, ever uh, took that approach. So I had some good fights with him. I think I fought him, like you said, a few more times in the minors, but I know I fought him and played against him a lot. And he was uh, one of the more willing guys, very tough. You know, if you saw him on the chalkboard before the game, he always knew, like, all right, I got to be ready to go, because he's going to be ready to go. So, uh, you know, I definitely... uh, Liked playing or liked getting up to play that guy. He's a he's a good and I met him a few times later in my career and after hockey. He's a he's a good guy. I like most of them. Yep. Well, and another name that's on here, and he was playing for the Flyers at the time. And uh, I, I don't know. I think this cat might be like pound. He's like one of the toughest dudes, man. Josh Gratton. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you'd ask about him because it's kind of funny. I knew all about Josh Gratton. He uh, first got called up playing with Sheldon in Cincinnati with the Mighty Ducks. And Sheldon said, oh, we got this Gratton guy. You know, we finally got some toughness here because Sheldon was doing a lot of fighting and uh, Shane O'Brien, or young Shane O'Brien, they were they were always complaining how they had to fight all these HL tough guys all the time. So they finally get this guy called up and Sheldon's like, hey, he's not that big, but you know, he's supposed to be tough. He started fighting. Sheldon said, oh, yeah, he's, he's definitely tough. He's got a chin like you wouldn't believe. And then he, he went on to have a career and then years I don't know how many years of this later this would be when I finally meet up with him in Philly, but it's quite a few years. So he definitely had a had a uh, uh, you know a track record, and I knew exactly what I was getting into. But I was talking to Sheldon a couple nights before, and, and he's like, "Yeah, if you fight Grad, and just you know, like you're gonna be, you're gonna think you have him, you're gonna think you have him, and then he's like, you're not gonna have him. He's gonna, he's gonna hit you. Like he just that's his fight. He just puts his chin out there." 
he's so close to losing the fight. You think he's going to go down, think he's going to go down, and then he ends up, ends up just smacking the guy. But anyways, fast forward to our fight. We're going toe to toe, and my my punches are just missing. His just missing him and going six inches past. And I'm thinking, oh, I got him. Next one, I'm going to line up right down the pipe. But just I'm thinking that he just wow hits me. <laughs> Definitely stuns me a little bit, slowed me down, and uh, I missed. We threw a few more, but he definitely clocked me with a good one on that one. And that was the first thing that popped my head was thinking about Sheldon's advice is how I, I, I definitely listened to Sheldon. I was, I believe what he's saying was true, but I still just fell for it. Took the, took the bait. Thought I was going to get him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he... And and if I if I did hit him, it probably wasn't even going to do any damage. That's the thing. He's, he was that just that level tough, but I. I sure, sure tried to convince myself I was gonna mid fight. Yeah, he 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 was in some unbelievable wars, that's for sure, without a doubt. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's ridiculous, ridiculous. Has oh, I was get well, seeing as he's involved in it, we may as well I will sidetrack here for a sec. That whole uh, that the the fight tournament that. Uh, that he's trying to get going here with kind of talking to, apparently he's talking to the UFC and all that stuff. Has, has you, have you guys heard any buzz about that at all? Is anybody talking to you about that? Yeah, no, nothing. I haven't, uh, I have not heard, I mean, I, I've heard about it, but I have not had, definitely nobody contacted me or I would assume they're not contacting uh, me at this age, but uh, hopefully they get some better contestants than, than what kind of shape I'm, uh, I'd be giving them anyways. But, uh, no, I haven't heard anything about it, and uh, it'll be interesting. I hope uh, hope it gets going. That'd be fun to watch. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah, I was just wondering if, like, uh, you know, I know you're around the ranks and scouting the guys and anything. I was just wondering if any of the players have been saying anything about uh, what's happening here. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I've not heard anything yet. But we'll we'll keep my ears posted for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can get that going. But uh, um. Well, this is the season. Uh, I believe in February you got you were traded to Tampa Bay and then sent to Norfolk, correct? Yes, yeah. Um, right near the end of the year, is uh, I wasn't playing. Paul Maurice came. The, the coaching changed. Paul Maurice came into Carolina, and I did. Uh, I think I played two games, two months, and then I got traded and sent down to the minor league team, which is a pretty uh, pretty entertaining team. Well, wow. uh, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you head down to the Norfolk Admirals. Well, first of all, yeah. your head coach is Darren Rumble and Alan May. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how, how was Alan May? Uh, oh, awesome! Just a real, 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 real good guy. Tons of energy. Loved, loved the game. Loved the, loved the toughness and all that. So it was a, uh, it was hilarious. I was there for, well, I don't even know how two, uh, two months, roughly. But uh, had a had a good time there, that's for sure. We were in the basement, always trying to convince ourselves we were fighting for a playoff spot. Never really happened, but we had uh, Doctor Hook, uh, Centerman, the captain there, uh, Kanaka. Yeah, Doctor Hook McCracken, then in Kanaka, leading the way. So there's no, uh, we were short of no antics that year, and we had a lot of tough guys on the team. Well, yeah, I was gonna say. So you got Kanaka there leading the charge, and you got Steve Downey. Um, yourself, Brent Henley, uh, J- Jake Brent Henley, Jay Rosehill. Yeah, Rosie. Yeah, geez. so yeah, R- Rosie was. I think that must have been his uh, uh, only 
couple of years into pro at that point, maybe, because I feel like he got a lot tougher as he went along. He was still a tough guy then, but he wasn't he wasn't fighting all the big guys. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't at the level he his career ended at, where he was like a real, real big-time heavyweight. Um, but he was still very tough, and he had some amazing fights, just just overwhelming guys with fast, the fastest hands I've ever seen. Quickest little punches, just knock hammer. But then, uh, yeah, big Brent Henley, he, he did a lot of heavy lifting that year for us, for sure. Yeah. Um, um, one game in general, I remember we uh, we uh, were playing well, bingo, I guess. That's where Yabo was. And before the game, we're in bingo. Rumble comes in, Rumble and May's starting lineup. We start all of our tough guys. So there's uh, me, Henley, uh, Kanopka, Rose Hill, and then I think they put Maybe Samolik, or we had a, we had a European who had served the pot all the time. So we put him; he was out there too. Um, and Bingham didn't start anybody but Yabo. <laughs> it was hilarious. So like, oh yeah, well, we got nothing but you know, here's Yabo. Good luck, guys. And uh, right off the bat, I, I was playing D. I remember, and Yabo looks over, sees all the stars that he probably knew beforehand. So he was ready to go. He lined up behind beside the hero and just started cross checking, just started cross checking, just drilling him. I'm watching it go down. Everyone's watching. Rosie's watching. I knew Kanapa wasn't going to fight him, and I was just kind of waiting. Well, if he keeps on going on, I guess, you know, one of us is going to have to do something. I was, I was kind of waiting to take, let the, uh, one of the young guys take charge. Finally, Henley's like, all right, that's enough. Let's go, Yabo, and they, they squared off and uh, had a good one. But Yabo, that year against us, he just uh, he had tons of fights. Fought Henley a few times. I fought him a few times, and, you know, you know he's one of the tougher guys, but he was always, always willing to go. With, with stitches in his face all the time, just a beast. <laughs> oh yeah, like that 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 dude oh. is on next level. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's next level is right. Uh, the one time I screwed off with him, the, the second time I fought him, just as we're going to grab on, didn't even notice it during the fight really, but he just hits me right in the chin, and I was stunned right off the bat. And I don't know, I don't know if he really noticed because he didn't unload right off the bat, or maybe he's being nice, but uh, he, I kind of got my bearings and grabbed on tight but in the penalty box I'm like hey yeah well what what you hit me with the ref that he's like oh just the right cross and I watched the tape just as I go in he just hit me the shortest little thing that's perfectly placed right on the chin and uh, like I said it was, I was kind of you know dazed there for a second and vulnerable but he didn't uh, he didn't feel it didn't attack but yeah he was he was a tough tough dude no absolutely well I was well, actually I was while I was thinking about it um I know at this point, I mean, we had talked about the whole, you know, the jersey coming off and stuff in junior and everything like that, but obviously there was there was rules in place at this point that you couldn't do that anymore. But did you ever, like, did you ever do anything to your jersey in terms of, like, tie-downs or, like, messing with the sleeves or the size or anything? Um, I, one time, at one point in my career, I put a uh, tie-down in the front of my jersey just because uh, we were, the guy I was playing against, Belak, had his front tie-down done. Done up, so that was when the jersey get, uh, jersey grabs were getting big. Yep. So if you had the thing tied down really tight at the front, the guy couldn't get, get you those jersey grabs. He'd lose grip all the time, or just didn't work as well. So that's the only thing I did there with the jersey. But uh, there was a yeah, time in my career when I had my shoulder pads altered and stuff, where if I pulled hard enough, my arm would come out of my shoulder pad, and I could get my arm out of my sleeve if I needed to. So yeah, there was always. Always looking for an edge up. That's 
for sure. I definitely needed needed the edge. Oh yeah, like you hear you, you hear some of the guys that they they've been on here. I mean, like tear away sleeves and and everything. And uh, I mean, what's yeah, that? I remember, I remember hearing about that as a kid when Rick Sorley and Cordick had the Velcro sleeves. <laughs> yeah, and they had you know yeah. Kaminsky's got the helmet that's all uh, you know they, uh, shaved down and you, you know sharpen the screws and all that and yeah the yeah yeah no, I, I always wanted the leather straps but I could never ever never get them at my point of my career none of the none of the trainers could hook me up with them oh yeah yeah the uh, yeah well that's interesting because as yeah. as your career I mean. Because when you first started playing pro, of course there was no visor, and then later on, well, at this point there is. Um, yeah. What did you? What did? You, well, what did you think of the rule? Like you know. The visor rule. Yeah. Um, I was always, I wasn't outspoken about it, but I definitely was. I had no problem with it. I was, I was, I was more for it than against it, just because. Um, Sticks were swinging around more. Guys were getting more careless with their sticks. And then also, there was like a few times just taking pucks in the face. Guys dumping pucks in in practice even. I got, that's, that's how I've been cut two or three times. Just stupid plays like that. And, I, and one time in the HL, a guy took a slap shot to the point. And all I remember is I see him winding up, and it hit a stick in front, and it was all oh, happened so quick, and it hit me right in the visor. It's like without that visor, I would have been. I would have had some serious, serious face work done. And uh, when it came down to fighting, you know, I, it was made it easier. I preferred to square off when I was fighting, so just you know, taking the helmet off made that a little bit easier. And it made for a little bit more of a fun show. Maybe brought me back, brought me back to the SJ days where you just take the buckets off and do all that whole that whole dance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it, like so. In terms of like. Well, yeah. So I guess basically the visor's all right as long as it's it, well. It's too bad. I guess now they can't even they can't take their helmets off now, can they? Yeah, no. Uh, it's uh, completely different now, and it's been like that for a couple of years, I think. But yeah, um, my hands actually were never as beat up as they were my first year, first couple of years pro. I mean, I was fighting a lot more, but also because uh, helmet on, you just fought with your helmet on, and most of the guys when they're when you start hitting them, they just turn their head and you, you hit them in the helmet. Then you got to rip the helmet off and all that stuff. So it was a lot more damage to the hands when you just have the helmet on. So it, it got a little easier taking the buckets off, in my opinion. Well, there you go. Well, um, yeah. Well, sitting at Nor- well, before we leave Norfolk here, I got to add, like, you, you mentioned Canopka, old Dr. Hook there. Um, yeah. He comes across as a very intense individual. Is he, uh, is he that intense in the locker room and stuff as well? Yeah, he's uh, he's intense. He wants to win. He's um, a good guy. I got along with him great. He's like, uh, but he's like more of a he's a controlling, intense guy. Like he just wants he makes every gets everybody on board. Controls the the tempo of the room. The you know he's 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 after hook the track and he's just, he's just a he played in the NHL and he's an NHL level player, but he's also like a minor league legend in my my in my eyes and he was good player like he could play the game yeah he was a he had he had skill ability he was tough he knew when he went up to the uh nhl he was smart enough that he knows that he could you know he could fight pretty much anybody he just really strong he could tie up if he had to wrestle him to death but yeah he was a 
he was a he was a beauty. <laughs> Just a beauty. Yeah, I was always a big I was always a big fan of Kanopka. I can remember uh when he was in Syracuse there with Morasti and, and Dorset and Stastito and all them and it was just a well, and I think they went on some twenty game winning streak to get into the playoffs and they were starting line brawls yeah. and shit in the warm ups and, and he was just the ringleader of it all. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's just him, that's right up his alley. Like he's he just takes charge of that thing. I I'm probably not, you know, quite as uh as much of a like I said, we got along just fine, uh, as far as I know. But yeah, uh, but I'm probably not quite as much of a meathead as he as he would have liked, you know, like to to pull the strings and do all those silly things. But yeah, uh, we I got along with Z, Z just good, just fine. Yeah, well, like you yeah. know, like like I've had Morasti on the show here, and yeah, like he said, it didn't take much. He didn't need much encouragement from Kanopka to get fired yeah, yeah. up and and play the role, right? Especially exactly. especially coming out of that LNAH, right? If it's right up his alley, so yeah, 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 okay. yeah, different level. <laughs> yeah, well, the following year, you actually you signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, did did you go to Penguins camp? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I went to Penguins camp. Um, I, I liked my first time around Wilkes-Barre there. I just, it was a good AHL team. At this point in my career, I was pretty sure I was playing in the AHL, so I was kind of just looking at that at AHL teams and AHL places. Um, so I liked my, my go around there in Wilkes-Barre. So I thought I'd go back to the toughest league in, uh, in the AHL, or toughest division in uh, the AHL, the AHL East, and went back there yeah, and had a, another fun year. Yeah, well, um, well again, again, you had a, you had a tough team, man. I mean, yourself and Derek Englund and Jesse Bullerice and Little Boogie, Aaron Bugard was there. And... Yeah, Little Boogie is a yeah, good guy. Um, he yeah, he was there. We also had uh, Zach Sill, a young Zach Sill, was uh, was our centerman that year. He centered the fourth line, and by the end of last half of the year, it was a. Uh, Myself, Zach Still, and Bullery. So we played together all the time, and we played a lot. Our coach that year was uh, Todd Reardon, and he just preached team toughness. So he just wanted he wanted everyone to play, you know, play hard, and you know, everybody fighting all the time. It was kind of, uh, you know, it was a lot, a lot of fun because I think we led the league in fights by a long shot. We had a good, we're a very competitive team. End up losing in the playoffs, in the first round, but we had a good team. So it was a very fun year. But uh, that year was really fun playing on, on that line with those two guys. Zach Still is a young young kid rookie full of piss and vinegar a lefty he could fight he could play the game and he uh he got in the four check and caused a lot of a lot of problems uh full reese was a you know a pretty good skater and could play the game a little bit too at the american league level and he was really really tough so it was fun playing with him and we just had a fun time you know we got a lot of ice time and we stirred the pot quite a bit so it was uh it was fun in the toughest division like i said so we're playing every other team we played against had a four find a matchup it was just it was hilarious. <laughs> it was not hilarious. There at, at times it got a little, little. Are you serious? But looking back, it was pretty funny how every team had a fourth line equally as tough as we were in that division, and some like some tougher. To be honest with you, like they matched up even better. It's it mind blowing how tough that division was. With Gillies and I think Marasti was there. Kip Brennan and McNeil were in Hershey. Like. I don't know who the Phantoms had, but you know they always had two guys, if not three. So it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty entertaining for the fans out there in, in the HL East back in the day. 
I, I don't, you, you didn't have any run-ins with Morasti. No, I only played him a few times. Yeah, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't running out for a fight. I know he would have fought me. He never asked me, he never, he never came up to me and wanted to fight. So I, uh, I definitely didn't uh, go look into that one at that point in my career. It, it, you know, if I did fight him, honestly, I would have definitely wouldn't have, uh, went toe-to-toe with him. I would have, like I said, do you want to go toe-to-toe and that's your whole game? I would have just tied him up and hit him with left and right to just annoy him. You know, I, I just, I, I wouldn't because, there's no way, no way I'm going to beat him going toe-to-toe. There's no way. You'd be, you're a fool if you think you can do it. Everyone gets sucked into it, but that's the way he fights, and he's just one of the best ever toe-to-toe fighters you'll ever see. Well, one guy so, that you... you yeah, no, like, yeah. no, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, nothing. Yeah, i just uh, finish that off. Just give it some praise to Johnny Marasty, but he was a tough, tough dude. Absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, another tough dude, and you actually fought him uh, a hand, well, what, three or four times. Um, Zach the Hack, Zach Fitzgerald. Oh yeah, he's a he's a just a classic AHL nasty defenseman. Yep. You know, just crusty. Just never took a shift off. Um, not the you know by AHL heavyweight standards, he's not the biggest guy. But he never ever backed down, and uh, he was uh, not that he was small. I'm not saying that at all, but he just you know he was lacking a couple inches for the to be a you know a super super heavy. But yeah, he never never took any time off. He was a tough guy to play against. Uh, whatever, yeah, we definitely had some battles later in my career. Those are the guys I ended up fighting more often was the, the old crusty defensemen because they wouldn't give me the five foot rules down low. They kept it be hard on me, and that. I was used to guys giving me a little, little, little bit of space or at least not finishing checks on me really hard all the time. And guys like that, like later in my career, Scott Ford, I'm like, what are you fucking, don't you know? I'm, I'm supposed to be tough. Leave me alone. But those guys who just played you hard all the time, you have to, have to respect them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, going back to, uh, to, to Penn's camp, um, just kind of what was, what's, uh, like were you, were you around? Uh, I mean, obviously, I got to ask you about Crosby and stuff. I mean, were you around Crosby a lot? Uh, I mean, we were on the same. I don't know how many groups they had, but we were in the same. We were in the same facility and all that sort of stuff. I don't remember if I was on the same team as him. I doubt it. I guess I'd probably remember that. But um, I believe I did. What I funny story. I think the I last time I saw him, I was saying goodbye to guys. I got cut, and he was. He was naked in the shower, so that's really as far as <laughs> <laughs> the last time I remember talking to him. But uh, no, he uh, he just seemed like an ultra ultra competitive guy. The one thing I remember from fitness testing is whenever somebody beat his score, he went him back and tried to do it again until he beat it. So he's uh, whatever. Yeah, that's just the way he is, and that's probably why he's one of the best there ever was. Um, but more importantly, that tra- that training camp. Uh, I met Goddard, Eric Goddard. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I imagine that's where you're going with this. But he, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he was a good guy. It's funny, you know, 6'3, 215. He's not a, by heavy, super heavyweight, he's not a, he's not a big guy. I'd say he's, you know, he's a light heavyweight by his, when you go up and you're putting up against all the, uh, big guy NHL heavies. But he's one of the guys who just seems like he's beaten all those big guys. You know, he's a giant killer. Um, but I fought him the year previous, and uh, in the fight, I was in Carolina, and he, he, was, he was winning the fight. He was kind of dominating. Nothing 
nothing too bad, but he was in control, in control of the fight. And he got me down to my knees, and he was a really nice guy, and he let me out. And then I, as soon as he let me out, I remember as soon as he let me out, I just got like a burst of energy, and I got a quick little flurry in on him, and uh, it ended, ended it looked, you know, looked okay for me that I got up and done with a couple of quick ones. And so he was laughing at camp. He's like, oh, fuck, rookie, I should have. Should have never let you up last year. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he used to seem, seem like a real, real good guy. Uh, guys there seemed like they really liked him. And can't say enough about the career like I had. No, ab- absolutely. Well, like you, you mentioned there about camp. That's an intro. I never thought of this, but uh, now that we're talking about it, when you when you mentioned like the fitness testing and everything else, um, in in the in the camps, and you've been to quite a few NHL camps and stuff. Who who was like the like the, the absolute just monster like strongest guy that you were just like holy shit? Well, well, the only thing I remember and I tell people all the time is in training camp at uh, in Boston, Zdeno Chara did the he led the uh, reverse wide grip pull ups. So your hands, your arms are wide, your palms are facing away from you doing pull ups. He he did, and he weighed two hundred and seventy pounds. He did 30, 32 of them, and the next closest guy did fifteen. Yes. I, I did six or seven. I was like, "Whoa, I got people. I got seven. That was hard." And then, and then like a bunch of guys got, you know, Ken probably, and a couple of guys got, like I said, low teens, and one guy got fifteen, and Z got thirty-two. It was like, what the? F-? It was just ridiculous. So he was just a—he's the biggest specimen I've ever seen in my life, for sure, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're. Uh, well, like I said, uh, well after the after the season there at Wilkesbury, um, so begins your 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 uh, Rockford Ice Hogs slash Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, well, career at this point. Um, uh, yeah. What made you sign there, and um, like, did they reach out to you, or uh, how did that go, and and how was well, clearly you enjoyed your time in Rockford, but uh, how did that all happen? Um, I, I would, I'd been living, when I was in Carolina, I bought a place in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. So I was living kind of halfway to Rockford from downtown Chicago. And I tried to play at the Wolves, uh, excuse me, tried to play at the Wolves a couple of years previous. And then Chevrolet off, so I've been talking to Chevrolet, coming Chevrolet off, it just never worked out. And then the uh, he went over there as assistant general manager for a year at the Hawks, and for whatever reason, it just kind of worked out that you know they I kept telling them I was interested, and they said, all right, well we you know we could make some work, and I signed that first year to play there, and, uh, and then after that, the story goes on, but it gets kind of interesting. But really, it was just a one-year thing, and it turned out to be in a funny, weird way. <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but. Uh, First of all, I'll talk about the year uh, playing with, uh, in, in Rockford. So I have to talk about playing with Kyle Hagel yeah. and Brandon, Brandon Bowling, I guess. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I go there as a veteran. I'm in and out of the lineup a lot, not really playing a whole bunch because they were a bunch of young guys. They just won the cup. A whole bunch of young guys they got in. Uh, a whole bunch of guys they picked up in trade. So I was uh, out of the lineup a lot. But when I did play, often I'd play in a line with... Uh, Kyle Hagel centering me and Brandon Bolick. So it was always a lot of fun playing with those guys. Uh, and Kyle Hagel led the league in fights that year. And at the start of the year, like he, he came up and he's like, hey, that one year in Grand Rapids, you, uh, you led the league in fights. Like, uh, 
and he's a really smart guy, a Harvard guy, so he's thinking about this sort of stuff. Or maybe not Harvard, then, or some smart school. Um, he uh, just said, that's, that's basically something you just go and take if you want it there for the taking, right? I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, sure. This was in training camp, like one of the first days I met him. He was just kind of an intense, really awesome, nice guy. But he's bringing it up, and all of a sudden, first game of the year, he's fighting. Second game of the year, he's fighting. He just never stops. He fought everybody, big, little, small. Like, he was fighting for Brian Reeves that year. He was fighting Bordelow. He was fighting anybody. He was five foot. 11, 205 pounds. You know, it was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, sorry. Uh, and then uh, Boley, I, was, I think that was Brandon Bolick's rookie year, too, and he was uh, just learning the role. He, he wasn't quite as aggressive as Hagel was, but just could tell he was a really, he was a pretty darn good fighter. You know, he was a lefty, um, kind of technical, but could, could open up and throw, go toe-to-toe. And uh wasn't really scared. That's one thing about Bowley. Like he, he was kind of a proud kid. Didn't want to let anybody show that he was ever scared. And he, he you know, he surprised me sometimes. He fought some real tough dudes. and did real good. Are you still there? Yeah. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. Well, another guy I was gonna I was gonna ask you about was Kyle Beach. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't really know about about all of his uh, WHL uh, history and all that, but uh, he was he, he was quite the little shit disturber, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, not the you know he, he he fought and but at the pro level he really had trouble. He wasn't really much that good of a fighter because not that he was a bad fighter, but the guys that he was fighting, if he's fighting light heavyweights in the AHL, he was it was a tough fight for him. So he he took a few. Took a few slaps to the mouth that year, but uh, I like Beachy. I got along with him good, to be honest with you. He was very, uh, very respectful to me, and I had no issues with Beach. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, he was an interesting, interesting player to play with, that's for sure. Starting, starting lots of shifts. Yeah. Well, at at this point in your career, uh, you know you're 32. Um, so definitely the the el- the elder statesman in, on the team and stuff. Um, did you still have the, I don't know how to word it, but it's like, because I mean, you did fight a bunch, but like, were you finding it harder to get up for it and stuff? Yeah, I mean, it was it, like, uh, at that point in my career, it was, I wasn't, I was just there to protect the guys more or, you know, at the odd time, fight our things up or, you know, just how, how the game goes. But it, it was a lot harder to just get things going right off the, very off the bat for a shift. That was like the biggest thing when you got a young young guy on the other end wanting to get things fired up at the very first shift of the game, and I was you know 32, and my wife's there with the two kids, two daughters watching the game. I only had two daughters at that point. It, it, I'd be lying if I said it, it, it was it was harder to or I looked to avoid it right off the bat at least. I didn't I, you know I want, I didn't want it just to be a something like that as much as was as willing wasn't as willing to do that when I as when I was younger. That's for sure, but. Uh, um, really, a lot of the guys were good about it. like Luke Gazdick would, you know, at the odd time, hey, rookie, you want to go? Ah, uh, no, not right now. It's nothing really going on. And he, he was really cool and respectful about it and would go the other way. And, you know, not many times a guy says no, but, you know, right off the bat, first of the game, it was it was nice when the young kid did to keep pestering in and make you fight. But, uh, uh, 
yeah. Anyways, yeah. To answer your question, yeah, it definitely got a little bit harder. Yeah, well, it, and it's just um, you know, and, and the you know, in the following year, in, in uh, you know, you, you played the seventeen games. Um, did you was that just just due to due to like roster moves and and manpower, or was it did you get hurt? Well, no. So that year, they I wasn't I didn't sign to go back there. Um, I didn't. Uh, they didn't. They didn't want me to. They didn't have a contract for me to go back and play that year. And I went to Wolves camp just to kind of see if anything opened up. And it was kind of like a very feel like the end of my career. Like uh, I don't know. Like I just don't. I don't feel like there's much out there for me anymore. Um, I could go play in the East Coast League if I want for for another year or two if I, if if I can. So I was thinking about that. And I, so I went to Wolves camp to see what would happen. And then um, so one of my old coaches was I was talking to him and he had a he was a director of scouting for Vancouver and they had an opening in their in their uh, scouting department because someone took a job so he's like yeah you know you could you could do it there'll be no pay we'll just cover your expenses because the, the, the budget's already done whatever so I had that in my back pocket and I just made I decided like oh man, I think I'm just gonna start my career you know start my then start my next career and I went started scouting with uh, with Vancouver for a little bit just on a part-time basis and we were my wife was pregnant and that uh there was a mistake a lack of communication between the two of us and we weren't getting our insurance paid after i was done playing hockey and the insurance insurance companies here don't tell you that you missed payments until it's you missed two payments and at that point you have no insurance so we had uh seven months pregnant and we had no insurance no so uh, I was like, oh, boy, uh, what, what am I going to do? I started calling. I didn't think going back to AHL was uh, plausible. I, so I started thinking uh, I'm going to call a couple of my buddies that I know coaching in the East Coast League. I'm going to call the teams that are close around here in the Central or uh, whatever other league it was, like the Quad City Mallards. That's one of the teams I was going to go to. And I ended up, I had a deal. I was going to go to Cincinnati in the East Coast League, play for Jared Scobie. And he had, he signed me a con, he was going to sign me and he knew my whole deal and he was excited to, to have me come there. And, uh, I was, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, this would be kind of fun. I never get back at it. And that the next day or that later that night, Roxford calls me, the GM there, that, uh, Mark Bernard calls me and says, uh, are you trying to get back playing? Cause, if you are, we need to send Spencer. It's like so and so's hurt, and this and that, and all that. And I was like, "What? Uh, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow." So, just, just he, somebody, one of the teams had called him and asked just like for a character check on me. Because I didn't even think of calling, calling him to get me a job in the AHL. I didn't think that was going to happen. So, but anyways, uh, yeah, they lined it up, and I went back there and finished the year off there, and. Um, funny I, I had my best point point per game rate in my career probably on a couple of real greasy greasy plays but looks good in the stat sheet yeah uh, and then uh really really got along with all the young guys they're really good and i did the first year out there too now all the guys were in the second year of their development and i really got along with those guys and then uh so they felt the need where they wanted to bring me back and uh, i just turned it into a couple more years and ended up staying with the uh Chicago Blackhawks organization after after hockey as a scout. So kind of funny how it all ended up working out, but 
uh, spent a lot more time in Rockford than I ever would have imagined. But I, I actually commuted back and forth, so I didn't didn't live in Rockford, but definitely spent a lot of time in Rock Vegas. There you go. Um, yeah, it's just I mean that just seems so you know so uh, yeah so wild. Like you know you're you're basically out of hockey playing wise and then here you are and then you manage not only to get on for 17 but then two more seasons it's like uh yeah the the brookbanks and the blackhawks i'm telling you you guys it's uh it's a it's a match made because uh of course for those who don't know your brother is the assistant coach um in chicago which is yeah kind of wild. I didn't even, like, I didn't even know that, and I was looking, I don't know why I was doing, I was looking up something, and I'm like, reading, I'm like, really? I'm like, oh, okay. Like, uh, in, in terms of, um, like you said, getting into, was that something that you had planned, like you had planned on doing when your career was over to get into scouting, or did it sort of just happen that way? Um, it, yeah, it was definitely wasn't something I just straight up planned on. I wanted to, wanted to stay in hockey you know, that's one thing I definitely wanted to do, stay in hockey one way or the other. And that was the first thing I got, you know, got my feet wet with. And I, you know, I didn't mind doing it at all. And then I, when I got this opportunity to Blackhawks, you know, it's just, I liked it more and more. And, you know, coaching is something I've always thought about doing too, but I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. Um, just, you know, just more or less really happy being in. Still being in hockey, not having to go do a, a real job yet. No man, that's that, that's cool. Um, yeah. yeah, in terms of like, um, you know, we'll, we'll you know, we, I mean, you had a hell of a career, and I mean, we, you know, we've talked about all the all the places you played and the and the and the and the battles that you had and uh, and everything like that. Just to uh, before we, I have a couple scouting questions, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you get back to uh, uh, driving and get to, get home. But uh, um, just in terms of uh, fighting. Um, Looking back on it, who who was probably the? I don't want to say your tough. Well, yeah, your toughest fight or whatever. But who was it that like when they hit you? It was like, oh, that that sucks. I don't want to do that again. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, those two shots from Oler where he hit me back, and I think that popped up, popped, hit me again. Those those ones really hurt. Uh, you know, hurt the pride more than anything because two punches and you got whatever. Eight or fifteen stitches into both sides of your face, so that those were tough. Um, uh, but like honestly, those guys—the only guys that really there's only a handful of guys who really, uh, really worried me. You know, I respect everyone. I know everyone's super tough. But the only guys that, that were really scary were uh, like Friedrich, Boogie, um, the guys that were just too big. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else is some of the big guys I fought. But like those are the guys who definitely gave me the biggest, the most trouble. And, and Brett, like I talked about with Brett Shear there before, he just the machine gun left. I could never get a hold of it, and I'm not the type of fighter who's going to open up and throw rights to those lefts and see how she goes. So um, he was a, he was a tough matchup for me because it's a little harder for me to get a hold of a guy's left hand than it is his right. You know, just because I'm used to fighting righties more often. But um, yeah, those guys, Laroc. Just for another guy, just too big. You know, I couldn't even. Uh, I can't even put myself in his class, really, because the guy's just too, too huge. I, you know, I don't even know what to, what I'd do with uh, <laughs> if I had to. I got it'd, it'd be hard. People always said you gotta hit. You just gotta hit him. He doesn't like getting hit. You gotta hit him early. But yeah, I'm square off him. He's just so wide. 
just like, how do you reach them? You know, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a couple inches bigger to really get on top of him, and I definitely lacked a lot of weight in that fight. So he was just another another level guy. Um, yeah, I don't know anybody else you can think of. Yeah, wow, I, mind right now. Well, it's just. Um, oh no, I mean, one guy I never fought, and he's you know, other than at the end of my career when I was you know too old or you know not feeling like fighting all the time you know it didn't say didn't didn't say no many times you know it didn't didn't turn away many fights but one guy I did turn away was uh when i was in wilkesbury big steve mcintyre he, he was he, we were skating up the ice and he's giving me a little hook and he's like hey brooke you want to go <laughs> and i was like and if he pushed if he pushed any harder i would have fought him for sure but i just looked at him and was like no thank you max <laughs> so I was like, no thanks no thank you big boy but uh, if he did keep pushing I would have fought I just would have I would have grabbed on with two arms and just threw a few little shots in there because that guy I think with a longer career you're talking about a top five fighter of all time by the way he was destroying people at the end of his career he was he was a, he was a scary dude and lining up against that guy on the ice not many guys scarier than Steve McIntyre yeah, I, I was uh, I was always surprised that he didn't get more NHL time than he did. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of a late, a little bit of a late, late bloomer later on the scene. I don't know, but but he was a <clears throat> he was a scary, scary guy. I actually remember when he was in Edmonton. This is kind of embarrassing, but it wasn't my call. But um, when he was in Edmonton, I was in Carolina, like. Laviolette, he, he was, he, he didn't want, he didn't, like, he told me, don't fight this guy, but he, like, we had last changed, he took me off the ice all the time, because he knew, like, at the NHL level, I'm not, I'm never turning down a fight from anybody, so, Steve McIntyre wants to fight, I would have fought him, but he, he wouldn't even let me stay out there and play against him. <laughs> so, let's go, change it up, let's go, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but, yeah, the guy's, like, like, I'm serious when I say that, I think he is, you know, if he had a longer, longer, uh, more games we'd be talking about a top five guy i agree no i've i've yeah. said that on this show a bunch of times i was uh even when he was playing in the minor i kept saying i was like the toughest guy in hockey's playing in the american hockey league you know it's yeah. uh yeah and i never yeah. understood it because it wasn't like like for that role and stuff it wasn't like he couldn't like he could skate fine for what he was yeah, and yeah, for, for sure. his size he was fine yeah. i just never understood I mean, I guess it was just bad, maybe bad team, like bad placement. The team just didn't have, the NHL team just didn't have a spot for him. And, you know, maybe it was just a bad spot. I don't know. But I don't know. Like he's up with Edmonton and he's just sitting there dummying everybody. And then they just send him down. It was like, I never got it. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Don't know. <clears throat> well, I mean, like, you know, right? But timing, right? I mean, it's just. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's all so much for the timing. It's crazy. Well, and it, and it's interesting, like, even when you talk to, like, I mean, you know, on social media and stuff, and you talk to these fans, and it's like, they have this perception that, you know, and I'm, and obviously, like, the tough guys in the NHL, okay, but it's like, there's guys in the American League that could hang in the NHL, it's just for whatever reason, they're in the American yeah. League, for numbers, or contract, or age or whatever it may be it's uh you know there's always there's well just like in anything right you know the the best players aren't always in the nhl there's guys in the american league that are better than some of the guys in the nhl you know but for whatever reason there's just opportunity yeah, right it's the, the 
the guy has a better contract, so he's there. You know, it's lots of things come into play for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. you know, yeah. fan, fans just look at it like, oh, they're minor league guys. They're they're not as good. It's like, well, yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty good league, that's for sure. No, absolutely. Well, um, oh, I was going to ask you just before we go. I, I have a couple scouting questions for you, but just in terms of your play, who was uh, like I always kind of ask, like in the warm ups and whatever, and you're getting ready, who was the biggest yapper that was always trying to like yelling at you and you know. Um, like I told you earlier, the best one of the best villains I ever played against, Chad Wagner. He's not a name everyone knows, but uh, like he was just nonstop. The one time when I was in Oak City, we played, uh, we crossed over Central League, played the West Coast League, and they were in. They came to Oak City to play us for a weekend set. And on the Thursday practice and practice, somebody dumps the puck in, like I think I mentioned earlier, and they dumped it right, hit me right in the face, and I had three or four stitches on my one eye, on my one eyebrow. So Slight little shiner. Who's the first guy I've seen warm up? Hey, Brooksbank, I'm going to shut you up. I'm going to give you a stitch on the other side of your face. Open up those ones. Just stand there waiting for me. Just frothing up the mouth. Just uh, hilarious. It just like he was just all he wanted to do was get another tough guy's uh, kitchen as soon as possible. But he was one of them. But as you get uh, into the moving up, like uh, uh, playing with Dennis Bondry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, like I think like I mentioned earlier, he's one of my best buddies in hockey, um, and we got we were we were close right off the bat. But we were playing in the American League East there, and I'd be stretching, and Dennis is where else guys are sitting around. Next thing you know, Dennis is at the center ice, nose to nose with Kip Brennan or whoever the whoever the tough guy is on the other team. And I look up and I'm like, oh geez, I gotta get in there. I guess you know my job, and that's one of my buddies over there. So just get over there, get in there, and there's a little stronger, but. Dennis and I go, yeah, I'll fucking see you here at fucking center ice, you know. Get, get things going, and I'll, in, the, in the in between warm-up in the first period, I'm like, Dennis, like, the, the fight's going to be there. Like, that shit's going to be there. Those guys, those guys aren't running scared from anybody. I go, why do we got to get it going? Oh, I just can't help myself, rookie. Sorry. I just can't help myself. Just fucking Kip Red and fuck him. You know, he just, he, just, he, just, he just got so fired up, and it was such a blast playing with him. It was hilarious. So there was no... Well, we had warm up, no shortage of chirping with Dennis. He was one of the best ones, chirping from the bench too. He had a lot of good one-liners. Uh, on the bus, he had even more one-liners. He was a yeah, he was a beauty. Is a beauty. Um, it, like it, it, in terms of the uh, like NHL guys, like it, you know, you you have Brashear and Larock and those guys. Were uh, were any of them yapping? Um. Well, like, uh, yeah, no, Brashear had a huge mouth guard in. He played with, like, a boxer's mouth guard, so he, could, he couldn't really talk very well. Like, he had a, it was a mouth guard that had a top and a bottom thing on it. I'm pretty sure that's what it seemed like when he talked. He, was just, he had something huge in his mouth, and you couldn't understand what he was saying. But um, Larock didn't say much. I think he's one of the more respectful, tough guys to ever play the game. Uh, I remember, like, like, when I was a rookie there, playing BLAC at in uh, exhibition games, Domi was a huge yapper. He was always yelling from the penalty box, like, "Yeah, buddy, how do you like that, Brookbank? I taught him everything he knows." Just always, always chirping like that. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't. There's tons of chirpers, I'm sure, but I really can't think of anybody who stands out I, at the I, moment. 
I was going to say, probably at the, well, I guess at the NHL level, I imagine most of the talking is probably done by guys that wouldn't have fought you, <laughs> I would think. Yeah, yeah, it's true, yeah, yeah. There's, most of the tough guys aren't huge yappers, to be honest with you. Like, Dennis, I don't want to make it sound disrespectful, but a huge yapper, but he was a big talker. But that's just, he just liked to get, he just liked to get in people, people's kitchens and, uh, and he just, he liked, he just liked the animosity and he liked, he loved back and forth. Um, so that was, uh, yeah. But most, most tough guys, I guess, aren't quite as big. They, they just like to drop the gloves and get after it. Well, like as, we, as did Dennis. Let's oh, not shit ourselves out. Dennis. <laughs> oh, unbe- unbelievable. And like for the, for yeah. the, for, to, for that long, and for that many fights yeah. and, and for being that size, like he's not a big guy and it's just like no. unbelievable. Oh, uh, uh, actually kind of a funny story with Dennis and I should have brought this up earlier. Is I met him at a, uh, when he was at the Edmonton Oilers, when they came to town for a uh, Edmonton Oilers Winnipeg Jets preseason game back in 1994. If that's correct. Yeah. I know I was in high school. Me, me and my buddies went up, got, we got tickets, we drove up the game. And there wasn't, was, was not many people at the game at all, so we're kind of sitting where we watched. I remember I was, I was yelling at Domi, even though he's a big, uh, you know, I really liked him. I, I was not saying he was an idol, but I loved Ty Domi at the time, but we had a few drinks on the way up and I was chirping Ty Domi from the stands. It was a half empty, fast place. He actually turned around and acknowledged me at one point, but he told me to shut up or motion me. But anyways, on to, uh, I see a bunch of, some players sitting out. Me and my friends were, we had a few drinks. And uh, we went over, sat beside, or started talking to these guys. And this one guy who was really chatty, it's like, end up, I'm a tough guy. I'm like, who's all the tough guys in the Edmonton team? They go, oh, this guy's tough, this guy's tough. And they had a really tough team. Right? And there was a bunch of fights in that game. But he just kept saying, oh, this guy's tough. And then I knew most of the guys he's pointing out. And he's like, oh, and this guy right here is really tough. And I was like, who's that? He's like, that's me. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're, you're, you're tough. Like, yeah. So then after that, after that meeting, and he sat and talked to me, me and my buddies were at, Half a period. I think I think he's only two or three years older than me, so he must have been pretty young at the time. I was still in high school, but he. Uh, uh, anyways, I, I followed his career after that, and it was kind of kind of interesting watching him work his way up, and then uh, finally meeting him for real and uh, as a professional some years later in Ottawa. But uh, it was kind of funny. The first time I met Dennis Bonvi, I was a uh, slightly intoxicated teenager. Well, how, yeah, like how wild is that, eh? You're, you know, you're drink, yeah. drinking the bow up from Lanigan and, uh, you know, hanging out in Sass Place, beacon Ty Domi, and, you know, fast forward, what, 15 years later, you're fighting him in Toronto. I mean, that's wild, man. Yeah, I know. That was pretty funny. Pretty funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. like you said, you, uh, you're, you're now scouting for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, like what, what are you, what is that? Are you at the, like the pro level or do you do a lot of junior games or what, what's your kind of role no. in the, in the, in the organization? Pro. We just do pro. So I just watch, uh, anybody who's been signed, uh, who has been signed to an NHL contract is somebody who falls in our department. So we're just for trades and free agency. Just, uh, watching them all, monitoring them all and, you know, Making trades, not uh, no amateur work whatsoever. That's a whole other, whole other department, whole other uh, crew of guys cover the amateurs. How about uh, 
now, like in, in this term, I mean, hockey's changed so much over the years. And so especially, I, I'm not trying to date you, but I mean, really, I mean, you know, since you got into, you know, way back playing in Oak City, the game's changed quite a bit. Um, yeah. You know, and we won't, you know, whatever it's, you know, it is what it is. But uh, how, what, what are the biggest changes that you see just in terms of like with the dealing with the players or, um, and that type of thing? Um, well, there's obviously a lot less uh, physical play because there's so much more attention brought to that sort of thing. So the fighting is, is completely completely changed. It's not uh, not even a part of the game. Like the intimidation part, it's kind of it's kind of hard to intimidate. You can't fall through, uh, fall through with it at one, at sooner or later. Um, but they're just making the game more wide open and more offensive. There's one thing I noticed. There's just a lot less. Uh, uh, some games, watching the American League for sure, when you get those Sunday afternoon games, some games are pretty pretty boring. There's not a lot of life in the building, and there's not a lot of hitting, you know, not a lot of high-end scoring, so there's not a lot of entertainment, really. You know, they're not the entertainment that I'm used to. But uh, these kids definitely are coming up a lot more skill. You know, they're working on puck skills and shooting and passing a lot more than than we did when we were... Uh, excuse me. But, uh, than we did when we were little. You know, we were more focused on skating with our heads up <laughs> you know now you're allowed to skate with your head down which is i know they don't tell people hey skate with your head down but you really you can skate with your head down and, and go through the middle and do that because if somebody hits you they're there in the wrong so eventually that's going to be completely out of the game but when we were young like you never ever skated with your head down and you, if you did you were you were expected to get hit so it was a lot harder to make these high high-end offensive plays you know because we were always learning to keep our head up make a make a pass um so that's that's one thing I've noticed that's really changed. A lot more skill, but it's just a, just a, it's just a different different game, different play game. Yeah, it uh, it seems to be like just as a, from the outside looking in, it seems like uh, compared to you always say back in the day, but I mean whatever that is back in the day. I mean, but these young kids now at twenty one, twenty two, do they like coming out of junior or college or whatever? They seem a lot more prepared. Like, are they are they more prepared now than back in back in the day? Um, like in terms of phys- uh, yeah, physically, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely think people are they're uh, better well put better put together than they were back in the day. Guys know a lot more about nutrition and training. Um, but I think there's they have better puck skills. They're more skilled. But I just don't know. I wouldn't say they're. I wouldn't. I don't know if I would agree with that at all. But I don't. Not, not not disagreeing. I just don't know if that's true. I, okay. I guess what I'm saying. I don't know if that to be true, but uh, because it's kind of now they come out with the, they have physical tools, but now some of their their some of them are lacking the mental tools to play a different role in the NHL. There's, it's always there's always something that after that first step out of junior or college into the pro ranks, when you realize that, geez, I'm I'm not a top I'm not a top six player anymore I'm, they don't view me as a power play guy anymore what am I going to do and guys usually either give up you know keep trying to be a skill guy and they end up giving up or going down to a lower league or league or just quitting all the other or else they find another way to stick around you know that's just yeah that, that's what happens to us still there's still there's still that battle battle where guys have to be ready mentally well, in your in your years in your later years in the American League, and then scouting now, um, I was going to ask you because you mentioned him. Well, you mentioned Hagel fighting him, but um, I know he was just sort of getting started when you were kind of 
finishing up was was Reeves. Um, did yeah. did did you yeah. see that in the future uh, for Ryan Reeves, or is his? Um, yeah, I mean, he definitely was a uh, a pretty entertaining player because he was a fast skater and he could he had a real you know good good body to hit people six one two hundred twenty five pounds. It's like a you know you're up a linebacker, a running back hitting you. So definitely know that. I thought he was a uh, good fighter, but I mean, he wasn't. I I forget. I don't remember. I don't know if I went back and watched the tapes much, but uh, and maybe I'm being teammate biased here. But I don't think he was beating the wheels off Hegel at that point in his career. And I definitely know that uh, like Bolick, Brandon Bolick fought him to. I think he fought him to draws at least, you know, throughout their careers. So I, I knew he was tough, but to be honest, like he's not. Uh, and I don't want to be an old guy, but in when I played or the years before me, I think he's just kind of a he'd be just another tough guy. Like I, I think he's a great player. He's one. He's a great tough guy in today's game because he knows he's the toughest guy in the league, and he he's a bit of a jerk about it. And he plays a role and it's great. But uh, like I don't know, I, he might even be a guy who's riding shotgun for somebody twenty years ago. He might not even be the first guy on the team. You yeah, know what I mean. Well, one one guy that that's been in the American League. Well, the the brother, I like them both, but what the guy that I was a big, I'm a big fan of is Brett Gallant. Oh yeah, <laughs> Brett and Alex. Yeah, those guys are those guys are tough. Uh, Shelt played with Brett in uh, in Cleveland yep. for a bit when they were near the end of Sheldon's career, and I I ended up meeting Brett through Sheldon, and I see I run into him every once in a while in the rinks so we talk. But yeah, he was a uh, he was a different level tough too, for sure. <laughs> All those Galat kids, uh, but he, yeah, I talked fighting with him one night. He, he just said like he, his style was just to sit back in the pocket and go toe to toe. No matter what you're throwing, I'm throwing harder, and I'm going to knock you out. Yep. Like, hey, that's it. Just that's a straightforward tactic. No, 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 uh, no questioning what he's going to do in a fight, and it was worked good for him. But you know, that's you got to be some kind of tough to have that, to do that over and over again. Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, um, sorry, speaking to him, did you, were you in, uh, at Task Place or whatever they were calling it at the time when he fought McGratton in, uh, preseason by chance, or did you ever see that fight? I did see that fight on the news. I've seen the fight. Uh, I wasn't at the game, but I've seen it, yes. Okay, because, uh, I think the, the fight, the, or the video I saw was from real far away. It wasn't, wasn't a very good, very good clip, but it looked like he stood right in there with McGrath and he, went toe to toe. He did, yeah. From what from what yeah. I can remember, um, yeah, it certainly wasn't the like I, I wouldn't be saying McGrath and kicked his ass or anything like that. No, absolutely not. No, he was yeah. he uh, he gave a very good account of himself. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of McGrath, I didn't really talk about the time I fought him. So, uh, like I said, we were we were pretty close buddies in those summer camps and then the training camps in Ottawa. We were always hanging out. And uh, got along with Bigger and really, really good. Um, and then we go to play there, play there. I'm with the Moose. We go to Binghamton during the lockout. And he had that year he was running wild and had whatever set the new, set the, the PIM record. But when warm up, he sees me to warm up. And I talked to him, you know, before that. But he came warm up. He's just like high five. He top in the shins, just grinning, happy. <laughs> First time we line up to, uh, for a face off, he's like, Rookie, here's the deal. Uh, I got. Uh, Going so going somewhere next playing so and someone tomorrow. I'm going to fight him. Get five there. I'm going to go on Sunday. I'm going to see Coach in Wilkes-Barre. I'm going Buck Wild. I'm getting 25 Tims there. 
and I'm going to set the record on that Sunday. He's like, so what I'm saying is I need five minutes from you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just looking at me sideways, and I was like, are you gay? You're serious? Because he just got to a game. He didn't say you want to go. He came out with all the stuff. He's like, so I need five. He's like, and I said, are you serious? He's like, yep. I was like, okay. So they jumped the puck, and uh, I, and I, like I said, I, I love him. I love him, and, but I knew he was rolling. I knew he was a beast. So they dropped the puck, and he, he just he's he getting ready to go. I just popped him right in the nose. <laughs> just drilled him right in the nose, and had a fight. The whole fight was even, but I just, still, he was, I, I could tell, you know, it, it, I watched the fight later, and you couldn't tell, but the whole time, I just felt like I was an extra four inches out, and I couldn't reach him. You know, I just was on the, I had nothing. He had me, he had a better grip for me. He was, I felt uh, slightly outmatched, you know? And, yep. and I, I don't think I lost slight, but I just felt slightly outmatched. But he was, you know, bloody nose. We go to the penalty box, and he was just laughing. He's like, fuck, Brookie, you hit me with that person right in the nose. I was like, yeah, sorry, big Aaron. I had to get the jump on you, you fucking animal. <laughs> uh, but it was, it, was, it, was just, it was too funny. He didn't, he didn't even give a shit. That's how much of an animal he is. Yeah, that, that was, was like 551 or something. Yeah, he went just nuts that year. Um uh, of the hard, some of the hardest pims earned. Yes. You know, like, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, I didn't actually, I didn't ask you this before, but I know you, you kind of, you talked about squaring off and stuff. And I know I've had lots of guests on from McIntyre and Morasti and all them. And I, I kind of always ask them because it's always interesting to kind of get in the, in the, in the fighter's mind and the science of it all. <laughs> when you were squaring off with someone, um, did you prefer, did you want to, go for them or did you want them to come to you how did you approach that uh, um i didn't really have a huge game plan as far as that like i didn't just sit and wait sit and wait you know sometimes i just would go yeah but early in my early in my career i definitely was just a guy i'm going in getting a, getting a grip that's what i do and i would take i would take take a couple of shots to get the grip i wanted to take a couple you know one couple ones that i could take on the side or to the back until I got my grip, um, I wasn't a guy who went in and just tried to throw a big bomb right off the bat. Never, ever liked that. Um, but later in my career, especially when I was with Rockford, I just started practicing a lot more things. Just just because I realized, after watching so many videos of, of guys' fights and squaring off, how if you just do something a uh, little bit little bit weird right off the bat, it just gets guys off balance. You just get a couple fists up in their face. It just throws guys, it just confuses guys. Um, and I used to, I guess back then I used to always do the only thing I would do is I would do that, uh, right from the comment, I'd just pop him with a quick little left jab, never a big one, not like a huge one that's going to do damage, but one that just would hit him right in the middle of the face, right in the nose, or just like a, just to get him thinking like, oh, fuck, I didn't see that. And then I could get a, get a grip on him. But like, uh, like I said, later in my career, I just was realizing, and I wasn't fighting the super heavies either, but I was realizing that if I just came in with a little quick little combo, nothing like huge, but just two little punches your fists up the guy couldn't really hit you because you have your hands up in front of their in front of their uh their ability to punch and you get two little shots in their face and then it just gets them off balance and then i was able to get things going but i really didn't care who came you know i didn't i never sat there and waited and waited and waited for the guy coming to me ever but i definitely never ran at guys and got things going like an animal either I know. I know. We had we had talked about like with the video and like YouTube not being around, and then it was kind of midway through your career and stuff. And I, by the sounds of it, you're obviously a video guy. Like you would watch the guys and stuff. Do you do you think um, was that did that ever did you ever watch like video and 
do you almost feel like you psyched yourself out sometimes? Uh, no, because I, I always felt like I was, I would psych myself out if I knew nothing about the guy. Yeah. You know, I just always felt that, I felt that would be one step behind. I, I would just be reacting to what he did. I'd be like, okay, what is this guy? Is he a big lefty, righty? I'd be waiting rather than going and knowing what he is. Yeah. I'd be grabbing on and seeing what he's doing. So, yeah, I, I don't, I really don't think that was an issue. The, the YouTube thing, um, I think, and I'm sure other guys were pretty into it too, but it kind of leveled the playing field because I was a very, I was a student of the game of fighting. I was, you know, I, uh, my, I had an older cousin who recorded fights all the time. So we went over for, for Christmas, Christmas dinner. We'd be in the basement watching all these tape, mixed tapes that he had. Yep. So we were always watching fights as me and Sheldon were always watching fights as kids and we were always goofing around doing stuff. Uh, watching him, watching Lee play in the SJ for three years and he had 300 plus pins every year and lots of fighting in the SJ. So knew a lot about fighting and I, watched a lot of fights but once youtube came around like then everyone else kind of started watching a lot of fighting too so kind of leveled the playing field in that aspect a little bit but the part i kind of didn't like about it is it just it was added pressure where yeah now if i lose a fight in oak city my 20 teammates are going to see it and it'll be you know it's tough that sucks the the fans will see it's in oak city yeah whatever but i don't have to worry about all my high school buddies all my buddies back home you know, you don't have to worry about all of them seeing it, which once YouTube came out, it was like, lose a fight here or there, and your buddies are drunk calling you, hey, I'm going to give you the brashier treatment. It was stupid love I got it. Whatever, you, you, learn, you learn to deal with it. But I would, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't, you know, you're, you're more worried about losing the, the fight due to embarrassment more often than actually going out and get cut open and bleeding. Yeah. Which you should matter, but... Yeah, but uh, so like, it, uh, and I, you know, I use YouTube and watch it a lot, watching, uh, you know, tracking guys. But did you did you ever take any to... did you ever take any boxing or anything? I took it took boxing one year um, with a guy just like a nothing special just one year when I was uh, maybe going back to Vancouver maybe for my second year or something one of, maybe that year. I remember it was a year I didn't I didn't get off to a good start. I didn't do good. I didn't use any of the things the guy taught me. But it was uh, and and I was trying to do some of the things, so I blame that. But uh, um, it was kind of lost a couple of fights and never went back to doing it. But I think it'd be a great thing to do just for the cardio side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. The uh, the tale of Brookbank. It was definitely the uh, definitely the long road, man. And uh, I it was. Uh, you know, as a, as a fan and, you know, watching you as a, you know, well, as a teenager in Melville and then to, to watch all the way through. And, you know, like I said, when we were over at the parents' house there watching you drop Oliwa and Hockey Night in Canada, it was, uh, you were, you were a long way from Melville. And, uh, it was, yeah. uh, it was a, what a ride, man. It was, it's, as a fan, it was a real, it was a real pleasure to watch you guys or watch you and Sheldon. And, uh, no, I really, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, no, yeah, thanks for having me. It was, uh, was kind of, it's fun going back and going, thinking about all those old teammates and and whatnot, and all the, uh, all the tomfoolery that went on in the in the old days. Yeah, well, like I said, I know we had been kind of going back and forth through the text there and telling some stories, and uh, you know, I heard some, like I said, from my brother there and from in the from the Melville days and stuff, and. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, no, it was fun, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, th- 
Thank you. All right, Wade. Well, I'll uh, I won't keep you any longer. I know it was we had a late night last night, and you're back at her. So, uh, um, good yeah. luck uh, with the scouting, and uh, you know, congratulations on a great career. And uh, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, Rockford and the Blackhawks can have some success here this year. Yeah, maybe not this year. But, uh, let's 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 look. We're already looking forward to next year, but okay, we'll, we'll, see. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Wade. Well, you have a good rest of the night, and uh, thank you very much for coming on. All right, Darren. Take care. Do, man. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 